0: Alright, we'll just get going here. Uh, Alright,
1: let's let's get going.
0: And so before we get to the pod though, are you where are you at in Palm Springs right now, Aldi? I'm actually
1: in I'm in I'm in Palm Desert. Palm so, Desert. Yeah. Well the the I don't know the difference. At, it's too swanky yeah, for me. It's no, it's basically I'm in the older demographic area of the Coachella Valley. Oh. Um not no, where the parties nothing happen? to do with not no. to do with the Coachella Music Festival, which is not happening at this time of year. I'm here for a conference. But what's the the funny thing is is that one of my one of my colleagues, uh, conference today, three of us are here and and all of our sort of seminars ended at different times. So we all took different different Ubers back to our hotel, which is it's about ten minutes away <laughs> from from the conference where the um, for the hotel where the conference is at. and when my colleague is on the way back, the Uber driver goes to her. Why are you staying here? This is for boring old people, this hotel. <laughs> and no, the, the Uber driver was sixty seven. So oh. not only so yeah. Wow. Uh let's just say there's a lot of a lot of cute a lot of Q tips down here.
0: A lot of Q tips. I got you. I got you. I thought yeah. you were gonna say a Do lot it. of no never mind. What? No, cuties, but I know that's not what you worry about. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> then, and if
1: they are if they are cute, I don't know. It's not my it's not my age range. I got you, it's not your area uh, of
0: expertise. I get you. I know. No. I know. Does Cam know what a Q tip is? I don't know if he's used them enough. Only for no, you no. don't know what it is, Cam? Cam's just he's like, What is it for my hair? No, it's for your ears. White, uh, <laughs> white, no no
1: it's sat. Do you just sat know what a q tip no, is? No, I guess not.
0: Apparently question. not. White
1: hair or white running shoes.
0: What? <laughs> An old guy
1: walking around town <laughs> with white.
0: he <laughs> got, 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 snort. got a snort. I <laughs> What? I got a, And uh, he's
1: just thinking he's talking about personal hygiene. I'm like i like, right so? I'm like, all
0: right, this is kind of lame. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, too good. Um, anything else for the preamble you want to share? Or well,
1: the other, the other thing I'll say is I'm not sure. Like, great, great that Vancouver. Took ten years to figure out how to bring Lyft and Uber to town and make it so it's unattainable because there's no drivers. That's awesome. <laughs> so you, you wait, you wait twenty, twenty-five minutes. But I found out why. Why? All all the drivers are actually down in in Palm Springs. <laughs> there are it, no. I think I think Uber will pick up in the summer in Canada, in Vancouver especially, because everyone's down here for retirement this time of year
0: oh, and they're you.
1: down here they're down here in the winter and there are drivers everywhere it is the quickest uber turnaround i've ever seen and so once they they head back, once the snowbirds head back up to vancouver for the winter it'll be, it'll be or the summer it'll be a little better
0: <laughs> you know what That that's, that makes kind of sense the snowbirds come back and they get to work back in vancouver all right there you go. all yeah. right aldi you want to get going with the pod
1: i do I've got a i've got a uh, margarita with my name on it waiting for me
0: this is the canucks pod with satyar shah and alex all welcome to this week's edition of the canucks pod satyar shaw with alex all it's a special trade deadline edition of the Canucks pod and all the uh, the big news for the Canucks it wasn't so much what they did at the deadline. Pretty quiet. They added Louis Deming, uh, goaltender, and we'll get to him in a second. But the big story has been Jacob Markstrom is out with an injury. It could be a number of weeks, anywhere from a couple to four. Elliot Friedman told us the Canucks are bracing for it being a month. Uh, Jim Benning told us that it could be three to four weeks. It is a knee injury. That much we know, whether it's a meniscus or MCL, we're not quite sure on. But obviously... It is a tough bit of news, that Canucks losing their MVP for a number of weeks. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean,
1: their MVP and possibly a Vesna finalist. There's been talk about Jacob Markstrom for the Hart Trophy as the league MVP. Um, you know, whether that actually would have materialized and come to fruition, who knows? But the point is how valuable he has been for the Vancouver Canucks, not just this year. I mean, the second half of last year, but especially this season, he has been lights out. And really been cleaning up a lot of some of the miscues in defensive zone coverage, some of the issues that the Canucks have been having in terms of defending. He's been covering them up and, and he's every way you slice it, this guy's having a great season. So trying to go through that final push into the playoffs without him for, you know, a, a month-ish, that's gonna be really tough for the Canucks. And it'll be it'll be great to see and really interesting to see how Thatcher Demko responds and how he's able to handle it and shoulder the load. But man, I'd, I'd be a little nervous if if I'm Canucks fans and I'm I'm Canucks management because you've you've kind of gone all in here with adding Tyler to Foley and obviously what they did last year or last offseason in terms of the J T Miller trade and some some big free agent signings and then to go a little bit further and then to lose
0: your star goaltender that's gonna be tough. Well, it absolutely will be tough, and that's a big challenge. And before we get into how the team can play in front of the goaltenders and Louis Domingue and what to expect from him and all that sort of stuff, the challenge for Jacob Markstrom, and it's difficult because, you know, we don't want him, we want him to be playing armchair doctors to come up with a diagnosis and, and what he has to go through to get to 100% and what he will play like ultimately when he does return. But what are the, what is the challenge? Let's assume Markstrom is out for one month Aldi. As a former goaltender, try to come back from a lower body injury, being out that long, this late into the season, how challenging is that for any goalie
1: to come back? It's hard. I mean, you you got to look at it. And, and the whole reason you want to come back and play is because hopefully you're going into playoffs. And if the, if you go well in playoffs, you're going to be playing a lot of hockey, right? And, and if you're the starting goalie, you're going to be playing every game. So just, just your... Just your energy level and and how you can sustain your leg power and your your you know your cardio and your conditioning and all those things are difficult and that goes beyond any pain management any swelling management any of that stuff any structural issues like like you said sat we we aren't 100 percent sure on what the what exactly the injury is what the extent of it is even what it is outside of the fact that it's you know we we all think it's his knee but we don't know what about his knee is the problem so it is really hard to speculate but when I think about it even if we take out any of the mechanical or physical issues with the knee and that joint beyond that it's there's some level of rest that will go into it so then there's some level of atrophy of the muscle things won't be as strong you won't you won't be as as ready to go from a physical standpoint in terms of your leg strength and power but also then it's your reads and your decision-making and feeling that level of, of game readiness that's on top of being in game shape, but it's, it's more about the mental side of things and being able to read the play and anticipate and all these things that Jacob Markstrom has had just incredible made incredible strides. And it'll be, it'll be difficult and it's coming back at the most important time of year. And the reality is he could be coming back at a time where it's like they need every win in every game he plays Mm -hmm. and, that could be really difficult. There's, there Maybe there will be. Maybe there'll be some leeway. Maybe there'll be a cushion. Maybe there'll be some time for him to find his game. But it also could be the complete opposite, where it's like, what do we do? Play Markstrom tomorrow, who hasn't played in a month? Or play Demko, who's, who's played okay? And, and again, total hypothesis Maybe that's not the situation. We're guessing about it. But that could be the
0: reality, and that's a big challenge. Well, it is going to be a big challenge. And, you know, there's a number of factors I go into when Jacob Marksman comes back. And the reality is if the Canucks don't get better defensively, and to their credit – that game against Minnesota was a step in the right direction. Limited scoring chances against against the Boston Bruins. They gave up good volume of shots, but they were very good at limiting high-danger scoring chances. They won the scoring chance differential. They kept it to the outside, mostly. So, systematically, the Canucks still have to get a lot better. But for Jacob Markstrom to come back and still be at that high level, I would say he would have to at the very least approximate 90%, 95% of what he's been like as if the Canucks play pretty much the way they have so far this season, right? I mean, you know, you're not going to get the same overall team performance of Markstrom's coming in at say 80% of his ability.
1: No, you, you need him at that time of year. You need him as, as close to if not playing at his, his high capacity, most games. I mean that, that's the reality you don't get anywhere in this in this league especially at that time of year without good goaltending and, and sometimes the requirement is is phenomenal goaltending right you need great goaltending to be successful in the playoffs you need that timely save you need you need a goalie who can steal you a game maybe you don't have any business winning that's what Markstrom's shown he can do this year but coming off an injury it's it's a whole other ball game and so there's there's this whole aspect of of Jacob Markstrom and it being a tough tough situation for him and that it, it's a, it's a contract year he's played so well I don't know, like it's, did something happen that it was like an acute injury where it was like an impact that occurred or is this something that's been creeping up on him? Like it's, there's so much unknown, it's really difficult to speculate. But I look at it coming out of this injury, it's going to be tough. It's going to be something that he needs to manage. But I will say this, if anyone can do it, when we've seen the way that Jacob Markstrom has applied what Ian Clark has been showing him, and the way he has just, his, his development path in the last year and a half, two years, is astronomical, how he's improved. If anyone can manage this situation, it's th- those two guys together, Jacob Markstrom and Ian Clark, putting their heads together, having a plan, coming out of this. And, and there's also a possible plus to it that Markstrom mentally will be fresh. He'll mentally be rested. And when you think of, and it's, it's been a long time since we've talked about this because of the extremely high level that Markstrom has been playing at, you think of the mental toll of this season with the passing of his father and all the way the season started and his offseason would have went due to everything surrounding uh, such a serious illness, maybe, just maybe, taking a step back and, and almost a, just a chance to regenerate mentally could be a positive, especially if that then turns around into an extended playoff run where the goaltender hasn't been scratching and clawing at every point through, through the end of February and into March. Instead, he's been he's been being able to be mentally fresh. Again, not an ideal scenario, but I'm looking for some silver linings here.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to Thatcher Demko, the opportunity, and what the Canucks can do as a team. Because I know you've had some good thoughts about how defensively the Canucks can be more in in tune with their coverage. But you've also had the experience of playing a season with a knee injury, and you know, again, there is reports out there that it could be a meniscus injury but we don't know for sure yet because there's no confirmation but you played through an injury like that and can you kind of walk us through the challenge of playing through it and where you were at in your ability when you had to go through it
1: well torn meniscus is is really difficult to to discuss because and and that's so again assuming it is that it's difficult because there's so such a wide range of varying grades of it um, essentially, the meniscus is the cushioning. It's it's almost like imagine there's like the little Asics gel out of your Asics gel running shoes that you used to rock in the 90s. Sat. You take that little <laughs> gel pad out, and that's that's in your that's in your uh, your knee joint. And there's there's two of them. There's one on either side, the medial and the lateral. And those are in there, and they're the shock absorbers for the knee. They're also like they're nice cartilage so that the knee joint can bend smoothly and all those things. Well. Anyone that knows anything about the way the knee is supposed to be bent and then watches an NHL goaltender do his thing in the butterfly, you're like, that's awkward. Mm. That's not normal. That's not the way you're supposed to move. So there's a lot of wear and tear. But the point I'm getting at is that meniscus has zero blood flow to it. So it actually doesn't heal. There's no healing of the meniscus. What there is, is there is time in terms of pain management and swelling reduction. Maybe your body normalizes the irritation that's caused from the tear. And what you hope is that the tear isn't big enough. Like the tear could be a tiny little tear that does nothing other than cause some swelling and some pain. Or it could be a flap that's basically out there just flapping in the breeze and can actually get stuck outside of the knee joint and lock your knee. And that obviously is a mechanical issue that you need to have some sort of uh, a scope in there. And all they do is they cut that piece off. They just slice it off, they trim it back, and they try to polish it up as best they can so that it's not in the way and there's no friction and it, it's clean. And there are and especially if there's loose bodies in there, that's another issue because the loose body is really inconsistent and unpredictable because it moves around throughout the knee joint. Sometimes it doesn't bother you. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it gets in there and again can cause that locking mechanism to occur. So what you have here though is the... The, the fact that there's no blood flow is this inability to heal it, and that's why over time they've come up with the best procedure to go in and just essentially slice it off through a scope. And then it comes down to all right, we're just we're just healing the wound, which is very minimal through a scope. It's basically a couple of puncture wounds, and then you have the the irritation in the joint, and that has to go down uh, through some some medication and swelling and ice, all the pain management, all of those sorts of things. And you you go through all that, and you come back, and you're like, okay. It's, it's about the pain management. Playing through it, I had one, uh, and it was probably about a quarter of the way through my last season in Vancouver, where I actually I played my most hockey with a torn meniscus in my knee, and I played that whole season. But it was really, really low grade. And we actually looked at it on the MRI, and we're like, okay, there's pain and irritation. Let's look at this. Well, if you if you have the scope, you're out at least two to four weeks. Um, especially for a goaltender, because of the unnaturalness of the position, and it was on the medial side, so that's the inside of the joint, and there's a lot of pressure on that as you do on the butterfly. There's a lot of strain on the inside of the knee. So what ends up happening is they're like, "Well, we're looking at it. It's, you know, you miss four or five weeks." And I'm like, "Well, I'm playing every night right now. I may never get this opportunity again." Which, by the way, I didn't. And I'm like, "Like, I, I, I don't want to pass this up." And so it was okay. You can, can you handle it? Are you okay? Like, and and we made, I made this decision that. I was good enough to go out and play that way, um, and there's a lot of unknown and uncertainty anytime you go you go under the knife and have surgery. So it's, it, it is a difficult decision. But again, it's my meniscus tear um, could be completely different than than if you had the same thing. Sat just because it's. It's, it's not like, oh, this, this break on this part of your arm is like this, and this is how long the bone takes to heal. There's a more prescribed method to it. It's very individualized based on the severity of it, where exactly it may be, which side of the knee it's on. There's so many factors. And again, it, you, it comes down to, do we operate now or at the end of the season? And what I chose to do was actually play through the rest of the season, play in the World Championships – and then I came back to North America. I landed in Vancouver, and I had my scope later that uh, the next morning. I had a little spring cleaning.
0: <laughs> the spring cleaning got everything kind of figured out. Now
1: I actually had and, and actually had my laser eye surgery done at the same time. I'm like, if I'm out of commission, you may as well be out of commission. Yeah. See, that's smart. I'm just chilling, chilling feet up, ice cream
0: all day. It's off season, baby. <laughs> off season ice cream knee. I mean, what? I mean, yeah, you, you're fine. Now, here's the thing, too, though, right? If you're a Jacob Markstrom, your contract's up at the end of the season, and I'm not trying to put words in Jacob Markstrom's mouth or anything or or thoughts or say he's going to lean one way or another, but when you have put put together a really good season two years in a row now, you're being established as one of the better goalies in the league how much hesitation could there be to get back here until you're hundred percent? And, you know, if you're not sure where, what, what that extension is with the Canucks and what that might do, like, how do you navigate that as a player, like him and being in that situation? Cause you know, I'm sure he wants to play and get in there, but you know, if you're looking at it pragmatically and being smart, like, you know, maybe you should be taking your time considering what, what might be at play here contract wise in the summer.
1: Well, I, absolutely. And that is, that is the other factor here. And it's, some people may not like it, but it is the reality of the business side of it. And I, I'm not saying Jacob Marshall. Let's take him out of it. Hypothetically, mm-hmm. a player who is locked in and, and just is in the first year of a six-year deal, all right, may look at this situation differently than a pending UFA. Just like players, we see it every year and we're fine with it, deciding to skip out on the World Championships in a contract year. Everyone, everyone can wrap their head around that. Everyone grasps it. Look, you're not going to go risk something when you have contract uncertainty and you have no guaranteed paycheck coming forward. Whereas if you have that term left, you you look at it and you say, all right, I'll I'll go represent my country at the world championships and have a little European vacation. It's that that's all comes into play here. So that, that could be part of it as well. Where, And I'm not saying that's why he's out. But I, I do think it's like, look, you've, you've got to be 100%. Because not only are you coming back and in a very important time of year, but you're coming back and there's there are future ramifications on the table as well. Um, partially based on how you perform, but even more so your health and, and your long-term health and making sure you don't come back too early. But Markstrom, Jacob Markstrom is a competitor and loves his team. And, and I you know for a fact that if he could be playing, he would be. Like This is something that is is usually when players decide to have surgery in season, it's because that's the best course of action to get it taken care of now and think about that long-term health and, and look forward beyond just this next month, month and a half.
0: Yeah, so we'll see ultimately when Jacob Marksman comes back and what the ultimate diagnosis is. Uh, he is back in Vancouver to get checked out, and he's not going to be on this four-game road trip. Now, before we get to Demko, what can the team do to be better defensively? I know you've talked about that interplay defensively between the defenseman and the center and coming back and making sure there aren't a lot of gaps. The positive thing is, from the Canucks aspect, and I've been keeping track of this the past couple of games, the Canucks have done a lot better defending in their own zone, limiting those scoring chances against. And it's a trend, in my opinion, Aldi, has to continue and get better, especially in front of Thatcher Demko.
1: Well, it's situations like this and like in these conversations, like you just you'd love to be a fly on the wall in the coach's office right or in the video meetings and see and because it's so hard to to pick it apart from the outside and say cuz you don't know we don't know like is it is it the messaging is it the system is it the players grasp of it is it and you 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 watch a game and sometimes you're like what is that guy doing yet if you knew the if you watch the video meeting you're like okay he's I, at least I understand what he's trying to execute. He's not executing it, but I can understand the intent because that's what they're being told to do. When you have none of that context, it's very difficult to to analyze that and to really look at it. But I've been saying this for a little bit now, is that it, it it's a difficult thing to correct because I believe part of it is inexperience and in personnel, especially at the center position. And and I know that they've got this this wealth of depth at center lower in their lineup, but one of them plays wing. You know, Brandon Sutter isn't really playing center right now, and you've got Beagle and Sutter basically on your fourth line. And those, those guys have some good, do good things in terms of defensive reads, but maybe they don't have a step. They're not, and they're obviously not as elite offensively as uh, Horvat, especially elite as Pedersen. But you see, so you have this situation where you have youth at the top of your lineup, and this, and the youth, and the, the speed, and the talent, and all of this is fantastic offensively. But always, what we see is the last thing to round in the forum is that defensive. Defensive coverage, the defensive prowess, and and I, I've been very complimentary of Elias Pedersen in his defensive game because what I love about it is he's not an offensive star in junior and and uh, his last year in Sweden who doesn't care about defense. Like We see some players who come up and they're just like, oh, I don't care about defense. I, I got 100 points in junior. He understands that he needs to work at it, and he tries, and that's what I love. There's an effort level, and, and so I believe over time he's going to be a guy that you aren't afraid of in matchups because – He's going to get to that level. But the reads are still just – and we're we're talking about the best league in the world. Some of his defensive reads are a step behind or they're just just not quite instinctive the way his offensive game is at. So that's a challenge. And that's a very difficult thing to address in season because the only thing that you can – the only way to gain experience is to play and play the games and go through that. Right. So it's, it's a learning process. So it's, I, I don't want it to be like I'm ripping him because he's he's imp- steadily improved. He wants to improve. He's he's a really diligent guy in terms of the details and wanting to. But at the same time, that's that's a reality of what's going on. But what I've seen from the Vancouver Canucks in the last couple of years, when they're at their best defensively, they are a little bit tighter defensively. They're yeah. closer. Their their support is closer. Guys are coming, dropping down a little bit lower, and that's a hard thing because once you get that, like you you overcommit that way then teams can pass around you on the outside a lot and things open up so it's again it's it's making sure that the messaging is a hundred percent crystal clear so that everyone's on the same page so that that helps people help because then you can recognize the breakdowns a little bit quicker when the messaging is clear you can all right that guy's out of position i gotta i got to come in here and just help out in any way I can. But if you aren't 100% sure on the messaging or if that changes from game to game, then it can be a little bit difficult.
0: Well, and that's that's the big part of it. So systematically, the Canucks have to get a lot better, and they've shown some improvements, and we'll see what Travis Green can get these guys to do. Now, when it comes to Demko himself, considering where he is in his cycle as a goaltender, his development the past few years, he wants to be a number one goalie. And nobody wants to see your teammate go down an injury. But how exciting is it that all of a sudden you get a chance to be the guy, stretch, drive, 21 games to go. You're headed to the playoffs as long as you don't fall apart. It can be a daunting task, of course, for Thatcher Demko. But how exciting should this be for him?
1: Well, it'll be really exciting. He's going to say all the right things. Look, like like you said, no one wants to see a teammate go down. And for the most part, no one wants to get that opportunity from an injury. Yet, that's sort of... The reality of goaltending. I mean, think back throughout the years of all these guys who've emerged as great goaltenders. It's, it's you get the chance through someone else's misfortune. Very few goaltenders are just drafted, start playing, and don't get their chance from something else happening, right? And, that, and that's that's just the way it goes. So the one the one thing I do like about it is that Thatcher Demko, some some goaltenders, and this could have been the reality, right? Imagine that. Markstrom doesn't get hurt. Markstrom signs a 5-year extension. When when does Demko get his chance? And has he has he moved on from being this guy who remembers what it's like to be an everyday starter in the American Hockey League to a guy who's a consummate pro so he has a certain level of professionalism and satisfaction with being a really good backup, but that also means not being how to re- They don't remember how to play every single game. So Demko's just 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 the, and I know a year ago, while well, he was he was in Vancouver post trade deadline and the start of the year when he was supposed to be playing every night, he was injured. But it's not that he's not that far removed from playing every night in the American Hockey League and playing quite well. Like the the end of that season before, right? We were talking about him possibly coming in and, and usurping Anders Nielsen as as the backup, right? And and because of his strong play in in Utica, so it's fresh enough that that part of it doesn't worry me. It might take him a couple games to adjust. And I, I do think that'll be interesting to see how he adjusts from the workload of, of being the backup, all the extra maintenance and, and goalie specific work that he's be used to getting now and, and playing every, every four or five games or whatever it's been his regular sort of routine. But I think he'll get back to his old routine fairly quickly. The key to me is for him to have some early success and, and build up that confidence because what's really difficult in this situation is if, all of a sudden, your first couple of games are losses yeah. and their losses, their losses, you know, play well. If you lose one nothing and your your lights out but the team can't score and you're like all right like you walk in the room like a little bit like what's wrong with these guys they can't yeah. score i'm doing my job right but if if you get lit up a little bit and then you're like everyone's gonna be asking the questions and then uh, oh when's uh when's louis Domingue gonna play and like that starts to creep in so getting some early wins and that's always important when you get to a new team but also this a new whenever the dynamic switches and there's a new a new situation who's playing more often getting those early games some early success that's going to be crucial for him as well.
0: You know, we're going to delve into Demko a bit more and something Jim Benning had to say when he joined myself and Andrew Walker on the program when it comes to the reason they didn't go after a more established goalie than Louis Domingue. We'll get into that and how the Canucks are positioned for the final 21 games of the season right here on the Canucks Pod. Welcome back to the Canucks pod. Satyar Shah with Alex Ald here on Sportsnet 650 and Aldi uh, continuing on this discussion about Thatcher Demko and how he can be positioned to essentially carve out a future, a longer future for himself here in Vancouver. As much as we don't know what's going to happen with Markstrom's contract situation, I know the Canucks want to keep him. He wants to stay, but the money has to be worked out. There's opportunity here for for Demko to show that maybe he can be the guy and perhaps he can run with this a bit and he can bring his overall value up, which also brings up the value of him as a trade chip if the Canucks want to move him, if they keep Markstrom. A lot of positives here. Also the negative of if you can't hold on to the job, you can fall out of the playoff race. But when it comes to something Jim Benning said I thought was interesting, we asked him, Did you consider going after a higher end goalie, a guy who is more established and has a better track record than Louis Domingue? And it was interesting what he said. Vancouver Canucks General Manager Jim Benning joins us on the program, Sportsnet 650. It's Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah. And I know you mentioned Louis Domingue comes with some experience. You mentioned in the press conference that your goalie guys uh, like Ian Clark like him as well, and he's near the top of the list of guys you went after. And I know Mm -hmm. you can't get into names for other players. Did you consider going after an even more established goalie that could have been on the market? We talked
1: about it. Um, You know, I think... One of the things was like we feel confident in Thatcher and we want to give him this opportunity. Um, you know, maybe you know we talked about if you know we were to go and get somebody more established uh, that you know we didn't want Thatcher looking over his shoulder. Like this is his time now to to run with it and you know see what he can do. And we've seen other young goalies throughout the league this year step in and you know be really
0: good. What do you make of that quote from Jim Benning when asked about why not going after a more established goalie?
1: Well, it is it is interesting, right? Like you, you could have done that. There's 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 so many veteran guys around the league who maybe used to be starters who aren't anymore. Um, somebody who'd say, hey, like. We like our chances with this guy to go on a, a two or three week, week run or even even just be like a little bit more confident in someone who can spell Thatcher Demko or or be like a plan B if that doesn't work. Right. And and the decision not to do that, it, it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to what the Canucks believe or, or think of Thatcher Demko and how they believe in him and, and still believe that he's he's definitely a guy, not just of the future, but of the now, like somebody who can get it done. I think that's important. To me, It's there's three key players in this at this time of year. Um, you've got the general manager and, and his group and what they think. Um, you, you've got the head coach and you've got the goalie coach. and. To me, Travis Green must be comfortable with with going rolling out there every night with Thatcher Demko um, and and Ian Clark as well. Must must believe that this is the right thing. And and when you know when you came in there from from break and you talked about this this chance for Thatcher Demko and this opportunity and you know to me success I always believed in this in my career and it's it's kind of what keeps you working through some tough times and it's it's especially as a goalie or a guy who's a healthy scratch and Mm -hmm. you're in and out of the lineup success comes when hard work and preparation meet opportunity and this is the opportunity and this is the opportunity that every every goaltender is waiting for this is and thatcher demko has been putting the preparation in and as much as i as i just said how i believe that jacob markstrom when he comes back if anyone can have him ready to go and and ready to to do his thing and come back at the right time it's ian clark same to be said about thatcher demko and that he's been putting the work in with ian clark and ian clark hasn't been saying all right let's uh let's have you working as the best backup in the league you know he we need you ready in case and that's the mentality, and that's the, the role of the backup goaltender. It's not just to be a good guy and get some guys some juice and coffee after practice. Like you, you gotta be ready to step up and and seize this opportunity. So this is a situation that a guy like Demco is is gonna be ready for, or as ready as you can be where you're at in your development. And and from an organizational point of view, it, it says to me that because hey, if Jim Benning and Travis Green didn't believe that Demco could get the job done. They don't care which way Demko's looking. They don't care if it's over his shoulder because mm-hmm. then what he ends up doing is looking over his shoulder into the net at the red light. <laughs> right? So right. it's like at the end of the day, they got, they got to believe in him. So if you believe in him, I like the play because it's like... Why are we going to spend a bunch of assets on something we don't necessarily believe we need when we think we have the answer right here in-house?
0: Well, and then realistically, for Louis Deming, as long as Demko stays healthy, and here's the other part of Demko, too. He's had injuries in the past, whether it's concussions and other things. So who knows how his body will react to playing a lot more? That's something we're going to find out over the next few weeks, of course. But Louis Domingue is essentially going to play three to four games, maybe only on the back-to-back situations. There are three of those coming up in the month of March, and we'll see when Markstrom ultimately comes back. But I'll also say, I'll
1: also say, if if he plays that many games, that's probably a good sign.
0: Yeah, no, it is it's true.
1: If 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 the team is if the team needs every win, they they may have to decide to go to Demko more often, right? And so if if he plays that many times, you may look let may look at it and say hey, that's positive because it means they built up some comfort.
0: What do you know about Louis Domingue? Because I always defer to the goalie guys when it comes to guys like him. And He had that nice run a few years ago with Arizona. He came in and he played well. He gave a, decent, a few decent starts at Tampa the past couple of years this season with the games he's played in New Jersey. They don't look good, good on the stat page. But what is it about Louis Domingue that you can share with us? Uh, he catches right. Yes,
1: very good. And he's got a good knob. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he should be successful then.
1: No, so I don't know if you saw it last last week. I don't even remember who was the guest I saw it on 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 social media. Basically he he came across and saved the puck off the very the tip of his stick, the mm-hmm. end the the actual end of his of his I mean you you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, right? I'm saying like the, yeah, he he made a big knob save his with stick, his w- with, with his knob. Yeah. yeah. So he, he uh and 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 I got a I got a text from from Joey Kenward about it because like anytime I would uh, make a save with, with my knob the boys would the boys would call me the knob goblin oh yeah so yeah anyway anyway anyway. so that's that's obviously a little joke but it was it was <laughs> legit I'm trying not to laugh to make this too obvious <laughs> legit 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 luck save he wasn't even looking and it, and it but it was he, the end of his stick literally knocked the puck out of the air it wasn't like it hit the shaft of his stick he just like he poked it with the end, but anyway, um, I don't think this part will actually live on radio. This will be for pod only.
0: <laughs> this is this is only this is only available on the podcast version. The, the knob pod. The knob pod. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, but I, the honestly, show really I stiffened up all I of do, a sudden.
1: I don't, I, do, I don't know a lot about <laughs> Louis Domingue because he hasn't played a lot. Like you said, like he's. He hasn't played a ton. For the most part, he's played on on weak teams. So yeah. it's like, can can you really judge? Like, mm-hmm. who is who is Louis Domingue? That's a great question. Uh, maybe Brendan Batcher will have to do a feature on him, and we'll figure it out. Because at the end of the day, he's either been on the best team or the worst teams. Mm-hmm. And so, can you can we get an accurate read of of who he is and,
0: and what he's up to and what he's doing and, well, and, and here's the other part of that question uh, Aldi, I mean, he has played 138 NHL games, save percentage over that time is nine oh four, so he's meeting that you know, replacement level goalie baseline, so it's not like a guy that's yeah. literally just, just garbage who's never been able to play in the National Hockey League but how much can Ian Clark do in a short period of time to maybe get the best out of Louis DeMang is that even possible?
1: Well, that's, that's the other thing, is is that, did, did Ian Clark have any...
0: Apparently, yes. So, apparently, yeah. so, uh, Jim Benning mentioned that uh, he's a guy that was on the list. that we were going after Goldie Wides and a guy that Ian Clark does like.
1: Well, then, then at the end of the day, I, I would say probably the initial start is, especially at this time of year, there's going to be no drastic changes. It's going to be about building a comfortable uh, rhythm and a comfortable sort of repetition and structure to his day-to-day and making him feel good and building up his confidence and, and Sat, you and I talk about this all the time how important confidence is. So yeah. that right there like you said, like he's you know, I, I say he hasn't played a ton. The, He's he's played enough and he's he's been around enough that he's going to be able to handle the moment. It's not going to be something that's that's crippling to him or like oh who is this guy? He's so inexperienced. But he's but it, I I think to me it's the question mark is around like who's who's the real Louis Domingue because of the fact he's played on these extreme polar opposite teams really good or really bad. But I I, I would say that Ian Clark's going to look to just clean up what's the what's the low-hanging fruit, right? What, what's something that we can... What's the biggest impact with the least amount of work, least amount of change? And it also can't be something that rocks the foundation and core of who he is as a goaltender. So it's like, all right, it takes me a couple of weeks of equilibrium to get everything back going, right? Because I'm, I'm kind of thrown off kilter by these changes. It's got to be something that fits the structure of his game. I would say it's, it's going to come down to movement. Is That's the first thing I would attack on him. almost any goalie, improve the skating, improve the tracking, visual attachment, so important, and again comes back to the strength of the goalie coach position in this organization. Yeah, If any, if anyone can do it, if
0: anyone can make it better, it's going to be Ian Clark. And that's what they have to lean on, that institutional strength, the goalie position, having a guy like Ian Clark getting the best out of their net minders. So something to keep a very close eye on. And certainly they'll need Deming to be at least okay in the games that he does get in. Canucks have 21 games remaining on the season now. Aldi, and the positive thing is... They have 72 points. For them to make the playoffs, they get to 93, 94 points. That's essentially picking up 21 or 22 points out of a possible 44 on the table. So if I'm looking at that, or 42 on the table, looking at that as being the case, Canucks just have to be essentially 500 to get in. So I still feel pretty good about the Canucks' chances getting into the playoffs because they have to essentially crater. And even though Markstrom is out, do you feel like the Canucks can at least hold their own here? Well, I, I do.
1: I, I think that they're, they're positioned well. I think they have enough, enough high-end talent At, at you know, Pedersen and Hughes provided their energy level and their production stays up there. And, and the fact that they're such special players is so gifted. Those guys are difference makers. I guess the one wild card in all of this, and I'm, forgive me guy, I don't have the schedule in front of me. Like I, I don't know exactly who they play out the rest of the way. But I think the big wild card in all this is traditionally the number of, of conference and division games late in the season. But the fact that the rest of the Pacific Division, they kind of all are like, let's capitalize on this week here. They're all in on it. We, and some of those moves may backfire as we see a lot of deadlines that happens. But some of them may be home runs. And so you're not just looking at, okay, this is where the Canucks are at versus the field Status quo. It's the new field, and that's a big wild card as well. So it is hard to project, but it, I, I like what the Canucks have done, and I love the way the Canucks have been able to respond time and time again this year. But then again, I look back at those responses, and a lot of those responses are on the on the back of Jacob Markstrom and his response, the way he's been able to respond. And if you don't get that stellar goaltending performance in game X, does a one or two game slide turn into ten? Instead, he corrects it and gets everyone back on board. So it, there's a lot of stuff to keep your eye on.
0: And let's kind of run through the Pacific Division here. Arizona already made their deal months back, getting Taylor Hall. Today, we saw some movement from the Calgary Flames. They got Derek Forbord and Eric Gustafson to defensemen. Sherbert, uh, Derek Sherbert, Derek Sherbert. So, I don't know if you know if you know that story. No, or you not. tell tell me the story now, or tell uh, us the story.
1: Yeah. Well, so like. <laughs> Last year, where was he? LA or last year, right? Yes. And uh, so watching him play and I don't, it's just, you know how it is sad. Now you're doing the the late, yes. the late games, the yeah. post game show, back to back nights. Sometimes you're just a little squirrely. You're uh drunk on takeout pizza, <laughs> not drunk. You're, but you're just like, yeah, Oh my I get God. It. I know. What, what I, and it's just like Forbert does something. And I just, I asked Joey Kenward what his favorite type of sherbert was. And we just sherbert, forbert. I no, don't know. That's anyway, kind of what and, happened. All right. And our our uh, award winning ultra executive producer Cambara texted me today. He's like, I was hoping Sherbert would have come to the Canucks today. So <laughs> you have more sherbert. Whenever, texts. yeah. Do you
0: have a favorite sherbert?
1: I I'm not a I am not a fruit a fruit and dessert guy. Like I'm mm-hmm. like I'm not I'm not wasting my time with sherbert. Maybe <laughs> if I'm. If I'm really like, if okay, if I'm, if I'm it's, uh, if I'm in Italy, for instance, Mm. and it's like, it's, it's summer. I mean, I I go to Italy most summers, it's it's a lifestyle choice I've made. (laughs) Um, If, if I'm, if I'm there and it's, it's 35 degrees and someone comes up to me and says, Oh, this is the, uh, I'm not even going to do an Italian accent. I won't do it justice. This is our house specialty. It's the whatever sherbet. Buddy, I'm gonna crush it. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna cool down. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not going out of my way. Like if I have reasonable, legit ice cream options, I'm not picking Sherbert. Like I'm just not. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: I got you. That that makes sense. But if you look at the, Anyway, the the Pacific yes, Division. The Pacific yeah. Division uh, we will we'll shift over. I mean, I'm not sure the moves Calgary makes, you know, will shift over. and Jerry's, over.
1: Ben and Jerry's <laughs> Chunky Monkey. That's your favorite. That's what you're going. No, with? so and I you know what? I I am contradicting myself. I just said I'm not big on fruit. Chunky Monkey's ice cream base is banana.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Banana banana to me is a fruit you dessert with. Yeah, that's right. It's, like banana split. Yeah. Yeah, yeah banana of, banana flambe, <laughs> uh, bananas foster, whatever. <laughs> bananas anyway,
0: Bananas foster, okay. All right, so we mentioned the Flames. They make a couple of moves depth-wise on the defense, and I think the moves they make is more about, hey, we're not going to punt the season, or at least we tell our guys we did something because they've had some injuries on the blue line, but it shouldn't change the fortunes of their team. I like what the Oilers did. They didn't pay too much. They did give up a couple of second-round picks, and if we like the... To Foley deal, then you can make the same case for Anthony Ciu, who I don't think is as good as Foley but you have some more time with him because he's RFA at the end of the season, if you want to keep him. Get Tyler Ennis, has some speed for the bottom six. Get Mike Green, who's now a third pair defenseman. But if you look how, at how Edmonton's been able to keep its head above water with all the injuries, and they're still sitting there second in the division, like, they add a few players that should give them some depth and also some more speed. Where do you kind of see Edmonton now, if they can get healthy and have those guys in the fold?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because like I I saw something on Twitter today about how finally they have somebody who can keep up to McDavid and yeah. actually execute the backdoor tap because double A I'll just call him because I'm not going to try <laughs> to pronounce his name and he's another A squared with might as well give him the number 12, 12 steps too but he uh, he he's he's fast right he's a burner and I and like you said he's not he's he's an RFA so there's some control Kenny Holland knows him. You know, I think that that's something too when you're looking at players, especially if it's more of a longer term play, like who is this guy? What's he all about? Um, I I like that you're adding some speed and I like that you're adding some depth up front. Uh and and really Mike Green is not the Mike Green of old when he was the man on the cap's PP, but some of that's still there, those offensive instincts and, and when you look at you look at the Oilers and, and their uh you know, needing someone to quarterback their power play, someone who can execute offensively in that way, but then you're not going to overload them with minutes. I like it as a depth move, and, and I, I think they, they, they made some marginal improvements throughout their roster that probably are going to pay some dividends, and obviously a lot of those Oilers fortunes are going to hinge on two things to me. Well three really, but it's it's the player of their top players. So those two players and McDavid and then obviously Dry and does he continue to carry the load and can he keep going? And then goaltending. And so but they they added some really nice pieces to complement that. So I, I agree. The the flames are more depth. Okay, we we need D in case we have some sort of good run. But the Oilers made a significant play, I think.
0: Well, they did. And the Golden Knights, well, they got Alec Martinez. That bolsters their blue line. But they also made one of the more surprising deals, in my estimation, getting Robin Leonard. And I guess you can say he's there to back up Marc- Marc-Andre Fleury. In theory, that's what he's there to do at this moment. But he's been the better goalie. And he's how now put together two seasons worthy of Vesna consideration. What does that tell you about their situation in Vegas, that they add a player like Robin Leonard between the pipes?
1: Look, okay, I'm a, I'm a massive Marc-Andre Fleury fan, and Marc-Andre Fleury was absolutely the right guy for the the Golden Knights to go after. We saw what he did, especially in his first season in Vegas. Put that team on his back and was, was lights out. But I will say that as he, he came down to earth this year a little bit uh, – saying Gerard Gallant paid the price for that I don't think is fair because I think what was actually happening was Marc-Andre Fleury was covering up a lot of the defensive deficiencies of that club that were a lot of it was systematic and coaching and so but he just hasn't been at the same level the thing I like about the Robin Lehner trade is that you're bringing in a guy who's shown he can he can play in in different ways like he's he doesn't just need structure around him. He can play a little bit more wide open and, and a freer style, which we saw this year in Chicago. A lot of really good defensive structure last year on Long Island uh, under under uh, Barry Trotz there, and that was a little bit more structured, and so he was able to excel in that role, and he's played so well in Chicago. So he's a guy who's come in, who's going to be able to come in and, and support and push flurry, but it wouldn't surprise me if they go to Leonard at some point if need be, and feel hundred percent confident in that it's a, that's a big play in the division. And that if nothing else, even if Fleury is your guy in playoffs, do you want to have to play him every single night, the rest of the year when he's had, he's had injury issues, he's, yeah. he's getting older. Like if, even if you need to play him every night in the playoffs, being able to rest him down the stretch. and No, you're not. It's not a big drop-off. That's a key move for for the Golden Knights.
0: Well, you also, I think what you saw is what the Canucks kind of got ahead of. They see the division being open. They had some injuries. They went out and got Tyler Toffoli because they feel like they have a chance if they get into the postseason to perhaps win a round or two. And that is also true for Calgary. It is... Very true for Edmonton, especially true for the Vegas Golden Knights because we all agree when they're healthy and rolling, they're the best team in the division, best positioned. And to me, they're the ones now with these deals they've made. They put themselves into that top tier of the league again. Now, that doesn't mean the Canucks can't beat them if they face them in the playoffs. Depends on the goaltending situation and how the teams are trending and injuries and all that stuff that they do meet first round, second round. Canucks first have to make it in. But I look at Vegas and to me, that's now the team with a bullet. That's a team to beat in the Pacific Division.
1: Well, and I, especially with the Markstrom injury, yeah. like it, that, I would agree. I mean, the fact that the fact that the Canucks are missing Markstrom and Besser for a significant time—that that's really tough for them to to, for, to. They can do it, but to say hey, they're the favorite—that's that's a difficult situation, right, to put on them. And you're right. I, I think the fact they're going to have they're going to be able to roll out two guys in net. Um, there's not you could argue the the drop up could be either way in goal depending who you play, and it would almost just be like. Who's playing better in the moment like there's no clear-cut number one uh even though one guy is going to be in the hall of fame so Mm -hmm. you look at it and you say hey like this is that's a really good situation for a coach to be in to have that choice um and so i agree And, and you look at their top six when they're healthy that top six is best in the division best in the conference best in the league i mean they're pretty elites in terms of their their top end guys i know they're not they're not all necessarily producing at the level they're capable of, but they've also shown that they're a group. And it's something we talk about every year. And anytime you do playoff predictions, you're like, well, oh, this, this team had a good run last year or a couple years ago, so they're playoff proven, let's pick them. But you almost always give the edge to the proven team, and you still have that, that up front with the Vegas Golden Knights. We so have a group who, there's some guys who've been there, done that, and, and that's something you can, you can believe in.
0: Uh, and bringing this back to the Canucks here before we get out for the pod, the question was, should they have done even more considering the injury to to Markstrom and trying to take advantage? And I know the Canucks were in on Barry, and I talked about this on social media the past couple of days. You know, I mean, talks did intensify around Tyson Barry. The Leafs really wanted to move him. They set the asking price really high. They wanted the first round pick and a high-end prospect. The Canucks, as far as I can tell, weren't willing to go that far, but they may have had the most compelling offer on the table for most of the past 48 hours, and ultimately it did not happen. And part of the reason I think it didn't happen was the Canucks weren't willing to add that extra big piece. And I think, you know, Stetcher's name was involved. I mean, you heard guys like your Levy being mentioned. And it's one thing moving a couple of those guys and perhaps a conditional third or fourth round pick or something. But I don't think the Canucks wanted to move one of the top end prospects and another conditional first. And they looked at Barry and said, what if we get him? Does it make us that much better considering he doesn't fill our deficiencies defensively? He's not playing ahead of Quinn Hughes on the power play. And... If you're not getting that fit in, and you're paying a premium to get this player, and you give up another future first-round pick because you have to give a condition, I thought the Canucks looked at it and said, "We can just revisit this in the summer and try to sign Tyson Berry." But do you think they should have maybe gone out and done something else at defensive depth?
1: I, you know, it's it's to me, it it is really interesting the decisions because I walk it back even further. I'm like, so if if Markstrom's injuries last week. Do you still make the Toffoli deal? Do you do you look at that as okay? We got Besser out and Markstrom out. Is is that almost? Uh, I hate the term, but for Jim Benning, is that almost the mulligan? Because hey, like we had a great year. We're in first in the division, but these guys are out now. Like it almost is a pass with ownership, in a way. Or or does that mean you do more? Like I I don't I don't know what the answer is. What I what I would say is I. I get the idea of not wanting to go all in on Tyson Berry considering what they've already given up mm-hmm. in previous deals. If, if, if the, if the Canucks were sitting where they're at and they hadn't, hadn't done what they did with JT Miller and even Tyler Toffoli the week before and Barry's available, maybe, maybe you, well, you have more of those assets. So they're, they're less valuable to you because you have more of them, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. supply and demand. So you're, you're more willing to move one of them. But I think in this situation, it's, it, you make a great point. Like, What's the fit of Tyson Berry on this roster right now, the way it's constructed with Quinn Hughes eating up so many major minutes in terms of the offensive side of the game? Is there a fit for Berry? Uh, and if there's not a fit, what, is, what does that ultimately look like? So there's there's so many things in play on it. Um, I, I I would I, It wouldn't have surprised me if the Canucks went after a sort of lower-end defensive depth, more estate stay-at-home type guys, guys that are seen as less elite in terms of puck moving. But it's, it's, such a, it's such a difficult thing this time of year. There are so many moving parts. And then the cap implications that the Canucks have. They have this money hanging over their head that, you know, in terms of anything that's beyond this year, beyond a rental, they got some stuff to manage before they can take on anything that's longer term. But, again, as far as defensemen go, it wouldn't have surprised me if they would have went after a more defensive guy uh, just to kind of upgrade the bottom or push, you know, maybe slot guys a little bit differently. But uh, I get not not wanting to go all in on Barry at this time.
0: Yeah, I think the Canucks looked at a, some depth moves as well. And then they, they said, I think to themselves, hey, if we're giving up draft picks like fifth or sixth and we're getting a guy like Jordy Ben or Fantenberg anyways, what's the point of making that deal? I don't know if that moves the needle. And they tried to do something with Barry. And I think the reason they still hung in the talks until the final hour pretty much was in case the ask comes down, you can kind of pounce last minute and get Barry for a song essentially. And I think they considered giving up a bit more to get him, but ultimately held firm. Which we all kind of agree was a smart move because hey, who knows what happens this season? Maybe you clear some money. Maybe you don't want to sign Tanov, and then this summer when Barry's a free agent, you can approach him then and sign him and make some other moves. But all the a uh, very interesting trade deadline. A lot has happened. Uh, you and I had to put together a trade deadline emergency version of the Canucks. So the, the
1: one the one thing I would say about the the it, that's interesting. The point you made about the timing. I know you I know you want to get out of there, but one thing I would say is that. You know, it's interesting that you, you hang around on Barry to see if, you know, yeah. it's almost calling the, calling the Leafs bluff a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Like you get from the Leafs point of view only wanting to do it for a really good deal because they're still, as, as disastrous as things look, they're, they're still in a mix and there's still a season to be played. But you, as if you're the Canucks, you're like, okay, will that, will that price drop? Because maybe the Leafs are really desperate to get out. They just are playing a little bit of hardball. But then on the flip side, it, I did like that the Canucks were like and, – and Jim Benning admitted this, and I'd kind of heard this previous, is that they were looking at Toffoli. He was a guy they targeted, a guy they wanted, and they were like, let's get out in front of this because we feel the price will go up. And when you look at the prices on some of these guys, it probably would have, right? So they – They were able to save a little bit of money, uh, and I say money in in my uh, great radio air quotes because it's, you know, what assets you're giving up. Just because they got out of it a little bit earlier because maybe his price would have been driven up at the deadline, and then you you play the, the reverse on that. Hoping, hoping for a last-minute uh, bit of a break on someone. And if it works, we'll take it. If not, we're not desperate to do it, and, and that's the way Jim handled it.
0: Yeah, and uh, from what we heard when it came to the Toronto Maple Leafs, Elliot Friedman essentially said the Leafs set their price high and they didn't get anything close to it, and they weren't willing to take a lot less because if they take a lot less now, it hurts their future bargaining positions because teams know, well, hey – it doesn't matter what they ask for. Wait them out. Eventually, you'll, you'll get yeah. your way. So the Canucks waited around to see if they can get Tyson Berry cheaper. And obviously, the Leafs didn't allow the price to get down too much. But any more, any more final thoughts here, Aldi, before we close well, this week's would, edition? All
1: I would say is a special, uh, special thank you to Craig McEwen. He sent me down to Palm Springs on assignment. Cover trade deadline from here. Disappointingly enough, there's, there's, <laughs> it's, there's nothing Nothing to report on the streets of Palm Springs and Palm Desert, and all through the Coachella Valley. There, it's, this trade deadline talk is very quiet here. Very quiet
0: there. Well, we had to have yeah. you down there just in case something would uh, percolate from, uh, you know, Palm Desert, but it didn't. So uh, enjoy your stay the rest of the way. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. And we'll be uh, we'll be talking to you soon. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod. Satyar Shah, Alex All on Sportsnet 650. Your brother isn't thinking at all, honey.
1: But I admire his guts.